0: What are you? You a cop? (laughs) Really? You seriously think I'm a cop? Cop in a skin-tight red and blue suit. Just let me go. Is that a knife? Is that a real knife? Yes, it's a real knife. My weakness, it's small knife. Jack, climb now. I can't. Yes, you
1: can. Uh, Put it on. The mask. It's going to make you strong. Jack, trust me.
0: Spider Man.
2: Hello and welcome to Midweek Matinee. I'm your host this week, Brett Beck. And alongside me, as always, I am joined by Mr. Chris Figs.
1: What up? What up?
2: And Mr. Blake Popes. Howdy. <laughs> if you want to keep up with them, head over to Twitter, find him. You can do Blake at Popest underscore Blake underscore nine two, or you can find Chris at Figs 21K. This week, we're going to be checking out and watching and discussing something we've not done yet, as far as I can remember on this show, a superhero movie, finally. <laughs> but I felt like if we were ever going to do a superhero movie, because here's a little behind the scenes talk. It is Scarface. Before, right? <laughs> yeah. I guess he is a superhuman when he's hopped up on that coke. <laughs> he gets shot quite a bit in that end, and he's still standing. Mm-hmm. So, But they say PCP is a hell of a drug. Anyway, uh, <laughs> whenever we were first starting to get to the show together and kind of finding our bearings and talking amongst each other, we were kind of talking about how we might want to approach something like superhero movies since so many of them now are steeped in the idea of Uh, a continued universe and even doing things like longer trilogies or sagas of movies like something like harry potter so we kind of always backed away from really doing that so anyway what we're doing this week is taking on the superhero idea finally but doing it with one of the more independent movies so we're going to go and look back at 2012's the amazing spider-man um which starred andrew Garfield. I think I mentioned it the end of last episode, but you know, it's one of those things where in my mind, I really loved the movie, but I'd only <laughs> ever seen it the first time when it came, like, you know, in theaters, but it clearly mm-hmm. left a big impression on me. Cause I still remembered a lot of the movie and how it made me feel. So because it's been eight years since then, I was like, you know, it's probably time to finally come back around to this. And I've just kind of had it on my mind lately. So I bought it and decided that we would pull it in here. So coming back to it, before I say anything about where I stand, um, I think both of you have seen this movie prior, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, Blake was complaining in the chat about how I'm making him <laughs> yeah, watch Jesus a two-hour and 16-minute movie <laughs> as as though he has never chosen a movie okay. over two hours and 16 minutes. If you look back in the annals <laughs> <laughs> of midweek matinee history, I'm pretty sure that every movie – that's longer than two hours and 16 minutes is chosen expressly by blank.
1: Yes. So let's remind the audience that he has chosen a three-hour movie and a four-and-a-half-hour movie.
0: Hey, dude. Okay, first of all, you know what? It's not four-and-a-half hours. It's four hours and 11 minutes. Somehow that makes me feel worse about it.
1: Oh, well, you could watch like Cleopatra. That's fucking five hours. sure Blake just got a half chub hearing that. (laughs) As long as it's good. If it's boring, I don't want to watch
2: it. Strong disagree. You never know until you actually watch it, right? Isn't that the problem? Coming back to this movie, (laughs) I don't know how many times you've seen it, uh, but coming back to this movie, how do you feel about it?
0: I just saw it once before. I remember liking it, and I still like it a lot. I like it more than I thought I would. I think the getting to be Spider-Man was a little long in the tooth. I think it was 47 minutes when Ben died. It was. My God, and that's not even when he becomes Spider Man, right? So, like, that was just yeah. my point, because me and Haley were watching it, and Ben finally got shot. Holy shit! Like, he's still not fucking Spider Man yet. Finally, <laughs> fuck that old guy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, no, he's finally
0: dead. <laughs> this was—I think this might be my favorite Ben, though. I mean, oh. I don't know how many there really are to like compare, but between this one and Two. Tobey Maguire, Two. <laughs> yeah, between yeah. this one, and Tobey Maguire, I like this guy better. And Aunt May, I like her a lot too. Sally Fields. All right. So Chris.
1: Yeah, I clearly, don't like this movie. <laughs> you don't
2: like the movie. Surprise,
0: surprise, surprise. Of course we can get
2: deeper into it, but if you had to if you had to do like, like a quick intro summary as to why you don't like it, what is it about the movie? Is it something that you can quantify? Or is it yeah, it's something man like? oh, I think we're about to have an argument.
1: <laughs> Probably, but I'm gonna win okay. it.
0: I don't know how you don't know how that makes
1: sense. I I fucking knew you were gonna say that too. I but knew Blake I mean, going to be like, that hey, doesn't make sense. It's a Spider-Man
0: movie. It's obviously Spider-Man. Well, no shit. That's what I'm going to say. But you didn't let me finish. You're, but you're What wrong. I'm also going to say is I don't know jack shit about comics or Spider-Man or anything. All I know is he very much looked like Spider-Man to me. Yeah, that's <laughs> not Spider-Man. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, it, I think that if there's ever a moment to open up with, uh, I think that that is the discussion at hand here. Uh, so I guess what I will say at this point, we are clearly going to get into spoilers. So if you've not watched this movie and are still listening and want to watch this movie, um, go do so now and come back around and listen to Chris's very
1: incredibly yeah. bad take. Uh, it's the right take if you <laughs> know anything about
0: Spider-Man. Hey, just pick an episode. Of? Of our podcast to hear an incredibly bad Chris take. <laughs> I knew okay. where that was going, but I wanted to let it
1: unfold without my... Mr. Uh, elevator to the Gallows isn't convenient when a little <laughs> girl steals the only piece of evidence.
0: This is literally your <laughs> only no throwback every time I say something.
1: <laughs> okay. You also like the Belco experiment. You don't like... Uh, battle royale you didn't speak during the end of the tour do you, you want me to continue <laughs> giving you shit about having bad takes one of those bad takes you didn't even have a take but you gave the movie three stars so it's a bad take Wait, which one was that I didn't have a take that was end of the tour oh gotcha <laughs> anyway uh so Chris
2: I do actually uh, all the all joking around aside. I do want to understand where you're coming from on the fact that you don't view this as a spider-man movie because if anything this is just a preface so that you can understand where i'm at on it i think the problem that i have with the tom holland spider-man movies is that they are inherently not spider-man movies to me
1: now maybe you even there are more spider-man movies than this one
0: i don't understand what y'all are what y'all are saying when you say that this Uh, spider-man movie is not a spider-man movie what does that mean Oh, Spider-Man was an is
1: established character, right. so if you don't adhere to the established character, it's not a Spider-Man movie. Even though you can label it Spider-Man, Batman was scared of goats, but you called it Batman, wouldn't be a Batman movie, even though he's wearing the Batman
0: suit. Okay, like I said, I wasn't trying to disagree with what you're saying. Yeah. I just don't yeah. understand how y'all are saying that about either so, one of them. So yeah.
2: So, Blake, to kind of give you something that I I think you may have seen, have you watched Batman versus Superman?
0: Yeah, I saw it in theaters, but it's
2: been since then and I didn't like it. Where that movie comes into play is actually a very, a very big argument around that movie and its take and Zack Snyder's take on Batman came from certain characters have certain traits that are just so tied to who they are as characters that doing anything other than them is just character breaking. And one of yeah. the big tenets of Batman is that Batman never kills. Which, really, if I was ever going to say anything about Batman, the one cardinal rule you don't break of a don't Batman kills people, yeah. is don't kill. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, so, I get
0: that. Yeah, it's so that's killing. kind of where he's going
2: out with this: is that there's some kind of cardinal rule of who Spider-Man is as a character that he feels like this movie breaks. Gotcha. And okay. I'm interested to hear what that is.
0: Is it the web cartridges? Because I feel like that's gone no, because that's forth right. A lot of them that's actually the oh, okay. most right. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I never knew if like he originally had those or not because some iterations of games and movies have the cartridges, some don't. So I don't know. Yeah, actually,
2: I actually think Sam Raimi was the first one, the first to actually pull it into being something that was biological. Oh, and it's really?
1: Fucking gross. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Still can you imagine movies, in
2: that movie though? could you imagine if like as as you're coming, you just shoot webs out of your hands? As well? That's <laughs> pretty much what he's doing. <laughs> he Would it be funny if every time before he could do, it, he had like like slightly just jerk off the little tendon of the wrist? <laughs> 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 Jeez, oh. <this. laughs>
0: it's like a glue bottle. It gets like crusty on the on the hole. <laughs> oh god! Good god!
1: He's got to put a tweezer in there or something. <laughs>
0: hey, like, while we're talking about that, just because.
2: The one thing about that that always bothered me, I didn't actually. I, I still understand why people would think it was gross, but the suit made no sense. How do you make a suit that accounts for having a hole for that shit to come out of?
1: Well, he did. They, you see it in those movies. He has little like, funnels. Out, but I never
2: remembered seeing a little hole where that was at. Yeah, there are so, like little metal explain, funnels. That that's I plan to revisit those soon as well because yeah, I haven't watched great. them since. I fucking
0: love, love them. That. Even the third one. They're all good.
1: Yeah. But the, it's not like they're like, they don't go like, oh, look at his wrists every time. But you can definitely see like little, I don't know, almost tent flaps in a way. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm fine with that. I, I
2: just like when things are halfway explained, at least. But back to yeah, this we know, movie. For
0: Halloween.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: and there's another bad take for the, for the group.
0: We're all full of them. <laughs> Laugh, Brett. Please laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it.
2: I was like, I'm going to hold that shit. And I'm going to be a stone. You will not break me. Okay. Back to the matter. At hand. Please clap. <laughs> I, I need to understand why Chris views this as not Spider-Man. Because I am pretty familiar with Spider-Man as a character as well. And I know that Chris is, from what I've spoke with him about in, in the past, it seems like he is a big Spider-Man fan. So that's cool. I am, yes. Yeah. Uh, What about this? Yeah, I'm just real curious. And I guess I should ask this for a little further clarification. Is it that he's not Spider-Man as the masked hero? Is it that he's not Peter Parker? Or is it that he's not
3: either?
1: Okay. Do you know the one thing that Stanley always said about Spider-Man? This is my first one. Yeah. He is an an everyman. Anyone could be Spider-Man. However, this movie decided to make Spider-Man a chosen one. So inherently, it is not Spider-Man.
2: Why do you view it as him because being a
1: chosen one? his father created the spider, therefore in any type of fantasy trope, he's a chosen one. That spider chose him because his father created it. That's inherently makes him not an everyman who anybody could be Spider-Man. That inherently from the start of the movie turns him into a different character. So, I disagree with that. R- yeah, I was, I, yeah. Go ahead,
2: Blake. I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on it.
0: Yeah, I disagree too. Not wholeheartedly because I get what you're saying for sure. Like I think that you're right and that he is most likely to be bitten because of all of the the fam like the familial ties to the Oscorp or whatever. So he's most likely to go there and go into that room or whatever I guess. But anyone could have walked into that room and got bit. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but his his parents <laughs> creating the the spider, it turns it into fate. Like there's no anyone could have walked in here when you're setting up that his parents did the spider sure. and you're setting up all this stuff.
0: I think it could be it, argued that it's a poor, like, writing decision, like lackluster writing. Like, his parents to matter they, at all? Sure, but I still think that anyone could have walked in there. Like, it's just a coincidence. You know what I mean? Like, it's a massive coincidence, and it could be argued that it's a bad coincidence. But I think it's still a coincidence. It's not like his parents brought the spider home to bite him.
1: But the fact that his parents have anything to do with it at all is in, is the problem. Sure, because his a his parents don't matter. Be, that just makes it it makes it more convenient to the point right. where it stops becoming he could be anyone
2: i don't I that's essential you know, to the, the character the
1: sentence, sure yeah
2: but I, don't, I think i think where i would take the my most of where i would kind of deviate from where you are in there i'll, I'll say like just to talk about your existing points um I understand what they're doing with the parents in this thing and they're written for a very specific reason. They're just meant to give character motivation to Peter Parker as an individual, not as Spider-Man, but as a as an individual. And I don't hate it. I actually like some of what the, the what the theme brings into the movie, and I think that ultimately that the parents are allowed to not really matter outside of what they mean for Peter's want. Now, I don't want to get too much into the second movie, but I think that your point—it's it a bigger problem. In goes the second way more to home, I think, in the second movie because they try to elevate it. Yeah, yeah it's a bigger movie. problem in that one. Yeah, and so, but I think in this movie, them existing as primarily just kind of—I I mean, you—I would say that there's a there's a decent argument that it's that it's at least convenient writing um, to fair to fair. do it where you create the. You create the fact that since he had his parents, which, of course, what, what I mean by that is you could leave this completely at the fact that his parents are just – they have to leave for some reason. They die in a car accident, and then he has to live with his, uh, with his aunt and uncle, for and sure. then that sets up his want for a father figure that he's not had. You could see that play out with Uncle Ben and every other father figure that comes and goes in his life with, throughout this movie, and that would work. And I actually do agree that if I had to really say, I probably would like that even more because there is a series of events that stem from the fact that his father dealt with it and he found this and it kind of goes through. I don't think it ruins the movie. and But where I'm going into the thing of it being still Spider-Man in my mind is your quote about Spider-Man being able to be an everyman. And to me, I, what I think he means by that is, as much as I love Batman, right? Batman is like a millionaire. He doesn't have money problems. He can spend literally all day going around And being Batman, and it doesn't really matter. And that's why Batman stories seldom hinge at least as much as Spider Man ones do on him trying to balance his personal life, his work life, and then his superhero work life. That's less of a thing in Batman because Batman is not met with the normal resistance that a normal human is. I think what Stan Lee meant by that is he's not supposed to be the most attractive person in the world. He's not supposed to be, he's just supposed to be somebody that if you saw him walking down the street, like that's a normal guy. And he has normal problems. And I've always viewed it that Spider Man's meant to be a character that has normal human problems, relationship problems that he goes through, problems of worrying about who does know about his, you know, who he is and what safety they have in it. Or as you see, like, again, I don't want to pull too much, but other examples of Spider Man that this movie doesn't touch on as much because it is Peter as a teenager. But one of the things I really love about um, Spider Man 2 and other spider-man like you know Into the spider-verse has it where you have this idea of peter dealing with monetary problems that come with not being able to hold down a good job because he's constantly worried about being spider-man but he's also trying to wrangle a love life in and it's like he's failing at all three of them at any given time or at least he's failing at the non-superhero side because he needs to keep the superhero side up so what i mean by that is the everyman thing to me, and the reason I think it works, has nothing to do with the fact that his father, he was chosen. It's just that at the end of the day, he's not somebody who just comes from a background that would be so foreign. Like you know, like I mentioned, Batman being a millionaire—that's not something that people tap into. Like there's actually a Stan Lee quote where he's talking about he wanted him to be broke because it's like you know I, I I've had money problems, you've had money problems. Like you know, that's something that most people relate to and that's what i think he means by being an everyman
1: yeah i, don't, I mean i just really disagree so i don't really know where to yeah. take that conversation the whole point is that you're supposed to be able to feel like you could be spider-man because I, I feel like i could be batman it's just a matter of being rich it's the same thing it's your s- situations where the whole but point hold on you can't
2: because in batman's, in batman's case you, your parents have to die and you have to go into that cave that's fate There's always something, right? That's what I mean. There's always something that ends up being this, oh, well, it can't be anybody without this series of events happening. But to be fair, to give you a little bit of credit, one of the things that makes Into the Spider-Verse so great is the discussion, even though you still see similar tropes, you see the uncle die and whatnot. But I think what makes Into the Spider-Verse so interesting is that you have the line specifically from Peter saying, what makes you different is what makes you Spider-Man. Which taps directly into the idea of it's supposed to be what makes you, your individual self, unique is what makes you Spider-Man if you are given the powers.
0: I think that quote is interesting, too, because anyone looking at Spider-Man, once he's Spider-Man, wouldn't know. They could still look at Spider-Man doing this and think that they could do that. Does that make sense? Or want to right, be yeah. that or whatever. Yeah. His par- like No one watching Spider-Man like, would know that it was kind of fate-based, I guess. You know what I mean?
1: It's the same problem as Star Wars, where... Every you have an entire galaxy and everyone is somebody's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sure. same problem here with his parents. The thing is, like I get what you're saying with coincidence and all this stuff. That's just the, the the whole thing about his parents being the ones that create the spider is A, really fucking stupid. And B, it just I think it inherently takes away from who Spider Man is supposed to be. Even if you don't agree with that, I don't really know how else to
2: sure talk I mean- about it. But yeah and I think to drive Blake's point home a little um I think that what's true of Spider-Man and heroes as a whole if we're really going to talk about Stan Lee's quote I think the whole point is that even if you're wa- reading the comic book page or watching the animated cartoon or watching the the live action movie the idea of seeing Spider-Man behind that mask and being able to kind of put yourself in his shoulder or in in his shoes rather is to say that when you watch him, that the fact that he feels like an everyman and you can relate to him, and then you see that mask which doesn't have a face, it's kind of like this idea of where it's supposed to inspire heroism and to be greater in everyone, be it in yeah. the world the Spider Man exists in, or the person watching the movie or right. reading the comic
1: so i kind of i kind of feel like my takes are getting a little muddled here where it's it's not seeing spider-man and being like okay i could be that spider-man i I kind of got off on a tangent there but that was my that's my problem with the parents and why i was kind of going with the more literary interpretation of it is because his parents are the ones who create it it gives it that fate i guess is i'm kind of mixing the two movies in my head which is why i almost thought to say to the group maybe we should record another day and watch both but <laughs> i
2: actually think the moment you start to introduce the amazing spider-man 2 into this this becomes way more problematic yeah. and but if you view this as a standalone movie where you don't let what came afterwards have an effect on it i don't think it's as big of a problem here
1: i think the big problem with the parents is that it takes in to me because of the way I'm looking at it, right? It takes away from anyone could be this man because it gives it an inherent, this is fate. Harry Potter is fated to get, to is prophesized to get hit by Dumbledore no, or Voldemort. Nobody knows who it is, but because of the way that they interpret it, he goes there. It's all that kind of stuff where this stuff all plays into itself. You know, without his dad working with Kirk Connors, without his dad creating the spiders, his dad doesn't work with Kirk Connors, he doesn't go over there, yeah. he doesn't get in there. So mm-hmm. it, it it takes it from he was a like it like in Sam Raimi's, he was a high school dude who was on a field trip and a spider bit him. Yeah. yeah that yeah. is inherently more that could happen to anyone than oh, my father created these fucking spiders and yep. one happened to bite me as I happened to be looking for his friend and sneaking away from my girlfriend. You know, that kind of stuff. It, yeah, takes, yeah. it, it lessens that.
3: So
2: yeah. where I think I take it from here and where I think it's actually a good thing to talk about is that what's, what makes Sam Raimi's movies work in a lot of the ways, even though it's a very different take on how they want to present the world. Like, you know, Sam Raimi's world is much more 19, even though they're trying to put it in like the 90s, it's still more of that 1950s, kind of Ditko era Spider-Man comics where the characters are meant to be more dramatized and their goals are supposed to be a little more on their sleeves and they're a little less human and more about what they're supposed to be representing is more of who they play into. And that works because it's all consistent within that world. But what you just mentioned, I think is where this movie both succeeds and fails because of two different things. Uh, I think what makes Sam Raimi so great, right? Definitely the first Spider-Man movie is that the setup is simple. And a simple setup not only leads to believability, like you say, of making it feel easier that it could have been you who randomly was on a field trip, but I also think it allows you to look at character motivations and characters and not worry so much about the semantics and all the different things that come in to creating the situation to where this person could even be bit. And that's why I think in the Spider-Man 1 from Sam Raimi, I think Peter's bitten in the first like five minutes, if I'm remembering And in this movie, Peter's not bitten bitten until like, what, 15 minutes in? Yeah. Maybe 20. So clearly, yeah, clearly the difference between those two is that Sam Raimi uses a very simple setup to just go through and explore characters that he gives depth even though he's still kind of viewing them in that 1950s, they're going to be representative of what they're supposed to be. Like, you know, Peter is supposed to be pure and sacrificing at all times. Mary Jane is meant to be the his pull of what he can't have. And he's constantly trying. So when you go through all those things, I think this movie does a great job when it goes back to the simple and just goes, here's Peter as a teenage kid who doesn't have a dad and he's, fi- he's getting mixed up in all the feelings of what not having a dad brings about. he, feels kind of like he has a dad, but since he gets this strand of something that makes it feel like he can kind of grasp onto his real father for longer, he throws that away with uncle Ben and you see the consequences of that. I think when the movie gets into that stuff, it exceeds really well. And I think when it bounces around on all those things, it's firing on all cylinders, but where the movie starts to kind of lose itself. And I don't think it's necessarily to like a detrimental level, but it's clearly, it's clearly not to the movie's help. That when it tries to be really in-depth and layered with all these different things of self-fulfilling prophecy, as you would say, Chris, for your situation, mm-hmm. that's, that is where it does kind of lose it. Because it, it gets into what feels like a complicated setup. And the, the shame there is that simple setups and simple storylines allow you to really further explore these characters. And while these characters get explored in this movie and feel real in this movie it always eventually gets bogged down by the complicated self-fulfilling prophecy that has to continue to play out. Yeah. Does that make sense. So like yeah. Blake, one of the things you mentioned, and I, I would hope we'd all agree that if nothing else, they're good is that aunt may and uncle Ben who are very, two very important people in Peter's life. They have a, <clears throat> excuse me, they have like a ton of character in this movie. Everything that they do to me, like, and I'm not taking away the the performances. I don't know the actors' names to be fair, but the performances in Sam Raimi's trilogy uh, yeah. are is also fantastic, and they're iconic in their own right. But this is for sure my favorite Aunt May and Uncle Ben, and it's like little lines like where you're playing into the human nature of them. And again, leaving all the complicated stuff behind, like seeing him come up with the bowling trophies and her talking shit about the bowling (laughs) trophies is great. It makes it feel like, yeah, the meatloaf discussion. It makes it feel like these people have been here before the story started. And we're just, we happen to be peeping in on their life instead of where a bad story, I think, brings you into characters that feel like the only reason they exist is to serve this particular storyline. And I don't and think I really the love
0: Aunt May and Uncle Ben from the other the, uh, Raimi trilogy are like that. I think they're really good as well. And I like yeah, they are. I like Aunt May in that one a lot too, but I just, I don't know, I always picture Aunt May like not, she looks like a grandma in that one, and that's not mm-hmm. like, in my mind, Aunt May. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, yeah, I really like Sally Fields in this one. She was great. Yeah,
2: yeah, and then um, what's um Sheen? Um, Martin. I don't know Martin Sheen. Yeah, yeah, uh, is that? Yeah, yeah. I, he's King. also a great Uncle Ben, and I really think he pulls that role off right. Yeah. But that, that speaks into what I think you know what the strengths of what Chris is talking about versus the weaknesses of what going too far can bring into. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Can I say one thing that I really hate about this version of Ben Parker? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So this is (laughs) the big Spider-Man thing, which they don't say in this movie is with great power comes great responsibility, right? Right. Mm -hmm. This is what they say in this movie. You are a lot like your father. You really are Peter. And that's a good thing. But your father had a philosophy a principle. Really? He believed that you could do good things for other people. You had a moral obligation to do those things. That's at stake here. (laughs) Not choice. Responsibility. Why is it so fucking long? (laughs) See why? Why is uh, it so long? It's so dumb. I
2: like that. To me, it feels more like someone who's having, who's trying to have like a real, like listen. First of all, it pulls into the the father thing, which again, if if you leave the stuff away, it's not as iconic, but it feels more grounded. Does that make sense? Sure,
1: but I don't know how to. I don't know, man. It's just. Imagine if imagine if, if Batman and someone you know you have that great scene people are like who are you and he and Batman just goes Marshall. you know when my parents died in an alleyway I realized that I had to do something about the criminals in the streets no I had an obligation to do something about the criminals in the streets I had the money and I had the power and I had the technology I was you could say the Batman
2: so so you're saying Batman gives away his entire identity to everyone that he picks up and fights
1: I'm just Do saying not. if if you took an icon a quote that is iconic and central to the character, again, instead of not saying it, you say it so fucking long and drawn <laughs> out to the point where it was like, you tried not to say it. So that almost to me, while it is a little bit more grounded it almost makes it less grounded because to me, it feels like someone trying to rewrite Shakespeare to sound better. Not to say Mm -hmm. that with great power comes great responsibility is Shakespeare, but you know what I'm trying to say? When you rewrite something that doesn't need to be rewritten to make it sound smarter.
2: I don't think it's that. I mean, so can I also offer, I think that it helps it sound more grounded, but I think the other thing that we, I, I, I think it's really important to go into is that this movie came very, if you really think about it in the length of time, it came very close to a sure. trilogy that just ended that had this own origin story. And I think when you do that, there has to be a concerted effort to try and make what you're doing feel justified by doing something that is different. And I think that that explains some of the best parts of this movie. And it also explains some right, of the worst that, parts of this movie.
1: That's inherently, uh, see, that's the thing is like, I don't necessarily even agree with you there because if you're going if you're going to redo Ben Parker's death, you've already lost the game of making it different. You have already lost that game because that was the whole point of the first one. They did it in a different way, which in this movie is significantly less, less fun than it is in, in Sam Raimi's movie, but you did it in a different way. You didn't do it. You, you know, you didn't change it in my opinion, in a, in a better way. You know, you made it, this guy stealing milk from an asshole cashier like that, that again, more grounded than a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, A the wrestling match is is very central to Spider Man's beginning in the in the comics anyway.
2: But while we're on the wrestling match thing, I love that this movie references that. Like, there's actually, a, yeah. I like that this movie also makes a lot of references to the Sam Raimi movies. Clearly, I mean the the wrestling thing that he falls into is almost looks so damn similar to what you see in the Sam Raimi yeah. film. But go ahead for
1: sure. And, and the the wrestling, but the wrestling thing is a thing that happens to Peter at least in one of the comics. I don't want to sit here and say his his entire story starts with a wrestling match, but that is you know,
2: yeah, and it uh, depends on what comic book you're pulling from. You know, that, even, that's a big because, thing too
1: the thing is even with this quote you could you could have just done it you're a lot like your father you know your your father thought that his 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 mind was his power, so he decided that he had a responsibility to help people and do things with his power. He always said that he had a great power, and with that power came a responsibility. The same line, instead, they just made it sound pretentious to me, and I don't. That's why I kind of don't I don't like think it sounded pretentious necessarily in the movie. I'm, I guess I should be yeah. cool. It sounds yeah. pretentious in the way that I'm saying. Of yeah. you rewrote the perfect line, but you did it in a way that made it obvious that you were rewriting the perfect line. You know, because I heard that and I was like, oh, they're just trying so hard not to do that quote.
2: (laughs) Yeah, though, again, I would say that. You're also adding in the whole beginning of you're a lot like your father, blah blah blah. But essentially, all that is just a build up for the last thing. Which, if you really want to look at it, the quote is "With great power comes great responsibility." The quote in this one is "He had a gift, and he believed that if you should go- do good for, for people, you know, whatever the exact it's quote still was." So, was too essentially, long. that. So, I'm not saying it's not still too long, but it's not nearly as long as "You're a lot like your father," you know, and that's a good thing. It's not all that extra stuff.
1: <laughs> sure, but even still, the, the, if you if you look at the main portion it's still he believed that if you could do good things for other people you had a moral obligation to do those things that's what's at stake here not choice responsibility it's still i get what you're saying and you're right and i'm nitpicking over a really dumb thing <laughs> but you guys asked for this No, they, i don't I really know what else you expected hey, have a
0: lot of little dumb things they add up man i get it yeah you do
1: because
0: like how i feel about halloween
2: <laughs> I said that just yeah. to get Blake. I'm off this podcast. Yeah. This is my last episode.
1: But um, do you at least like get where I'm coming from on that? Because I feel now that we've talked yeah. about it, really dumb for bringing it up. Yeah, anyway. I certainly
2: but. get where you're coming from. I Again, I think the interesting thing here is that Like I said, I don't think you're wrong in any of the things you're bringing up. And I I think it's just that I agree to various levels. Like, I clearly think that bringing the parents in to the degree they did could have been cut to just, like I said, mom, dad, go away. And that makes that a lot cleaner. And maybe, like you said, maybe all they have to do is, hey, you know, your father was smart. You're a lot like him, but he had a belief, you know, if you have a great power, then that comes with a responsibility to help people bam, that's still, I get what you mean. And it's closer and it would be cleaner. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I guess it's just that none of them add up to just be, I don't know. I mean, none of them add up to, I I guess it's really hard. And maybe if I'd watched the other three more recent, you're inevitably going to come from a point of comparison, right? When you're watching this movie and the other ones. And I think that, like I said, that's what explains the best and worst of this. Sometimes it was, let's do something different that is just genuinely different and interesting. And then, Let's do something different because we don't want to fear pre- being brushed up too close to what they did in the Sam Raimi movie.
1: The last point I'll make on that one is it's why I, outside of the fact that I think the Tom Holland ones are just better movies is that they just skip that. So then you don't get this like, Oh, well we're not trying to do the same thing. We're trying to make it our own. They just don't do it.
2: <laughs> but see, and, I, and and that's a conversation for a different day. But if I'm going to give at least a little bit of, credit to this movie is i think the problem with the tom holland movies is that if you look at the one thing that's actually supposed to be the the great arc for a peter parker spider-man because you can talk about the other ones i think that peter parker spider-man is always supposed to be uncle ben is that pivotal point and the tom holland movies just completely eschew that to the point where it's almost and i mean honestly
1: have you seen civil war yeah i have Okay, well, they address it in Civil War and they talk about how his motivation for being Spider-Man is that his uncle died and he didn't protect him. So they address I that in those that, movies. But it they never comes out.
2: back up. They don't ever talk. It's like, it's like they just had to say it and get it out of the way. But, again, yeah, I don't want to get lost into that Tom because ones,
0: but, we may come around. Which is why I like the Raimi ones more. I don't have to watch like eight movies to get the full Spider-Man story.
1: Well, You don't have to watch eight movies to watch the I mean, full he's Spider-Man. He's in like
0: one. eight MCU movies. Maybe not eight. I'm probably exaggerating. You know what I mean? What is he actually in five?
1: Yeah, he's in five, but that's like I, just I don't wanna know. Watch
0: the three Spider-Man movies; it'd be done. With but it. you <laughs> can watch the two Spider-Man
1: movies: they're Homecoming and Far From Home.
0: And I have, and they're fine. Like I like them, but they're
2: but they're not Spider-Man movies. They're Avengers movies that just happen to have Spider-Man in them. And you know that because the villains aren't even motivated with anything to do with Spider-Man. It's all about people who have issues. With Tony Stark because the movies are not about Spider-Man which brings me again why I think that trying to keep something at least partially segregated from this bigger hole and that's part of the problems of trying to make everything interweave is that you kind of need there or i won't say need but there's a pull towards making you want to do that whereas when you have a movie where you're going this is a spider-man story and this is an intimate spider-man story all you have to worry about is spider-man and all his things and it makes it feel like a character movie we can we can wax poetic about what we think makes a spider-man movie all day long i think we'll just be here a long time so i think from here I inevitably knew that those moments were going to happen, uh, whether you liked it or didn't like it. I think it's clear that there's conversation to be invited into over the fact that they made some different choices. So where I'll come back to the parents thing and kind of just start and pull back on for me personally, I like the idea of how they started the movie with Peter being a kid and they're playing hide and seek, which is very of course metaphorical for the fact that in this movie he's looking for his dad at to start and then throughout the movie he's literally looking for a father figure. It's a little on the nose, but I actually I actually like that, but again, it comes into the thing of when the when the dad gets further brought into the fact of all these different. It's hard not to want to talk about the dumb spy shit from the second movie, but if you if you just make it that he's looking for his dad and then something happens to his dad, I think that you have a really great character moment to start with and then you kind of continue to wrap the movie around this starting point. Of
1: course, you get weighed down by other stuff. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at you in the middle of that. Clearly, I just got this. I just got this image of a a little boy, Peter Parker, like playing hide and seek with his dad's fucking dead body. The way you said (laughs) it, I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Dad, you're in the same spot again. Please hide. (laughs) One, two, Dad, move. (laughs) <laughs> you're so Christ. silly dad that was dark as fuck let's continue <laughs> oh
2: so anyway i like that uh as a as a basic idea of coming into the movie i think that that's a real strong start uh and i think the only real scene of that that starts to betray it is the fact that he's clearly putting a little pencil hole in the drawer and making sure his stuff is still there but if you just had it be that they yeah. dropped him off like again these are smart small changes i love the very beginning scene and how it kind of plays into the full theme of the movie. But yeah. my slight edit to make it even better is to cut all that extra crap and then just have it to where uh, something comes up and they've got to go somewhere. Nothing crazy. But they drop uh, Peter off at their aunt and uncles and then tell them, hey, we'll be back. We've just got to go do this. And then they die in a car crash. Same exact sure. basic thing is what happens. Just leave out all the extra BS. Yeah. <laughs> but where all that does come in and where the self-fulfilling prophecy does become something, whether you like it or not, that at least pushes the narrative forward and creates some interesting themes within it. Is this idea that the movie kind of constantly goes around, right? Where it's, it's all about this idea of circling around real consequence versus action. And you see that in pain in Peter's dad, you see that he had a consequence for the action he took and taking all his research notes and, because he clearly knew what the problems could come of it. We see that consequence come to bear and we see it on a much smaller scale, right? We see, and I liked that the movie decided to actually show this. We see uh, that Peter walks into Oscorp and steals the badge of that Rodrigo guy or whatever. And then later they actually show the Rodrigo guy getting like taken out of the building. <laughs> yeah. Small consequence, small action, or, you know, a small consequence to a small action, <laughs> but still an interesting one. Uh, yeah. But When you go through, where the self-fulfilling prophecy kind of starts to get interesting is like he has the code. And again, I only say interesting in that it drives the plot forward and can create eventual themes that work out. So he finds this person who ends up that he worked with his dad and he's trying to like get closer to his dad by going and talking and working with this guy. He gives him the code that his dad had and sets things in motion. But you know, By even going there and trying to seek the guy out and getting bit by the spider, you start all these series of events that actually start to come into the more interesting themes, which is the theme of looking for a father figure and seeing this kid be a kid and looking for a father figure and then eventually having to grow up to where by the end of the movie, we see him mature so much as not only the superhero Spider-Man, but also as the human Peter Parker. Uh, And I like where that comes in. Cause like I said, I think this movie excels when it's about characters and character motivations and not about a bunch of BS in the background that has to explain why these things are happening to begin with. So um, I I mean, I don't know if anybody has anything to add to that in particular. I just think that there's a lot of stuff that pops up in this movie that has this idea. And I, I guess the way to kind of say it right is that the movie brings this to bear with aunt May talking about, uh, whenever Peter comes in after Ben has been shot and everything, uh and we see that he's been going out rampaging and you know being vengeful trying to find this person he 's beat up, and then she says secrets have a cost they aren 't free, not now, not ever, and I like that because it 's all constant talking about the the constant action and reaction that just plays out that we see happen in this movie, so yeah, I guess my, like whenever my, my final thing about that, and then I'll let some, anybody else that wants to chime in, chime in is what I mean by his like eventual character growth, right? As you see him go through multiple people that he's viewing as his father, you see, of course, Ben, then we kind of see it start to kind of be Connors as he's trying to like reach for fag- frag- fragments of his real father by communicating with Connors. Then we kind of see it eventually move on to, to an extent, not just greatly, but, uh, captain stacy and all that kind of goes through and all these people who are fathers in his life and father figures and people he was ascribed to have gone but at the end we see him all beaten up and bruised come home after earlier for getting the eggs that aunt may ask him to give and then he pulls out a thing, <laughs> and thing the eggs. Yeah. i love that
1: yeah that was a really good uh capper which yeah. i don't believe for a second that those eggs are viable
2: this is all it is the thought that counts.
1: <laughs> yeah, except now they've—they he's just wasted money on eggs, and they've got to go buy more eggs.
0: Especially organic eggs in New York cannot be cheap. Yeah, it's like eighty-five dollars <laughs> a uh, for one. <laughs> uh. But, I mean, see,
2: that's what I kind of mean, Chris, and that's why I'm curious to hear your take on what the movie does. Once you get past the fact that you don't like the self-fulfilling prophecy, like where do yeah. you stand at least on the fact that it does bring some certain themes in that I think play well on the human level of what makes Peter a good I, – I, I guess at that point it is where it's, it comes into feeling like just a, an everyman, a human, someone who has to deal with the consequences on a very human teenage level and then continue to grow past them. I, I understand all the uh, other stuff is this fluff and annoying to a degree.
1: Yeah. So How I guess, you get past that, you know, um, Andrew Garfield is too hot to play Peter Parker. <laughs> I'm just that's just honest. He's just too attractive to play Peter Parker. He like he I don't believe that he gets bullied and he doesn't in this movie. So like and that's I part I don't think of, that
2: that's fair to say. I mean clearly, I do. How, clearly he does. I mean No, he doesn't.
1: The one very scene
2: in the movie he gets a he, basketball he, thrown in his fucking face. What do you call that?
1: I mean, I have to, I don't remember if that was on purpose or not, but I even still <laughs> like yeah no he's
2: standing in the hallway of a school not in like the gym he's standing in the hallway
1: of a school and looking at a fucking
2: paper behind a bulletin thing and gets smacked in the fucking head by flash with a basket
1: okay and then by the end of the movie they're friends the only scene of any actual bullying that you see other than that one scene is another kid being bullied and peter parker helping that kid
2: yeah, but so I just Peter don't gets think. As a response, essentially,
1: he gets his ass kicked. That's not getting bullied. <laughs> I mean, clearly, it comes in. He's being bullied
2: at first and trying to get to taking a picture of what's going on. I don't know.
1: I think that's kind but of. But you came to something
2: me. I think is interesting that this movie does do naturally, sure. Um, and it sounds like you don't like it. I personally love the fact that Flash has a real human nature to him whereas a lot of the times flash is this single note bully where that's all he does what you mean he was really slow though he wasn't even fast (laughs) yeah different flash (laughs) um i like that you know we see him being a dick but then whenever it comes to matter and we see uncle ben's death and we see you know peter come back to school and then the moment that flash is coming around him i understand like i like that you see peter's reaction of wanting to grab flash and shove him against the lockers because of course all of his previous things with flash are clearly not good they have a bad relationship and the last time he messed with flash was when he was bullying flash <laughs> yeah uh, But you see that reaction and I like that when you actually look at what's going on, when Flash is approaching him, he's doing so in a much calmer manner and it looks like he's already trying to come over and be like, hey, I'm sorry. And then he gets pulled in. And I like how it's like Flash leveling with him on a human level of like, like, like hey, your uncle died. Like I, I get it. I'm sorry. And I, I thought that was so cool because one of the things I think was like such a waste of a character and why I'd even why he was even in the movie at, to a degree at that point is the Joe Mangianelli or whatever his name is, uh, who played yeah. Flash in the first movies. I just feel like, oh, he's just there to be a 100% dick. But yeah. in that world, it makes sense because everybody's meant to be a one note constant that plays into the stuff that Spider-Man has to kind of deal with. You're right. But in this one, being much more human and much more grounded, I like that. When it came down for it to really matter, Flash wasn't a t- like a total dick.
1: Yeah, no, I I don't have a problem with Flash's growth as a character. It's just I just like I said, I think that Andrew Garfield is too pretty to play Peter Parker. Like I just I'm don't. not arguing.
2: I'm not arguing. <laughs> While we were watching it, which first of all, I think he's a good looking dude. Yeah, but he is. my my wife is like, he's a good looking guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's no Ryan Gosling, but he's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they try to
2: bedhead him up and put him in, you know, more right. slack
1: clothes. But It's like they have to try to make him look unattractive.
2: <laughs> no, and I remember that being a point of contention with a lot of people. It's like, this guy's
1: too hot. He <laughs> just is. Like, Yeah, it's, it's honest to say that, I guess.
2: Now, you know what I do like about it, though? <clears throat> and if I'm going off of memory correctly, Blake, you'll know more of this than I will. Um, before this movie... Andrew Garfield had done uh the social network, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know the year that came out. Yeah. Um, but the thing about it is I don't know much about An- I mean he's clearly I think he he pulls off both him and Gwen pull off looking young better than the Raimi movies handled it. Yeah. They're
1: both hot. <laughs> like I don't know how else. And, to
2: and, it. and, and youth is the, the the marker towards hotness. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. I mean <laughs> But he he feels like like more to me than than Tobey Maguire ever did. I was okay with it. It's easy to get over in the Tobey Maguire movies because you're just seeing a high school full of
1: 30-year-olds and you're okay with it. But which it, this movie it, it, actually does have during the basketball game. There is one guy who I feel like had just a gray beard stubble <laughs> in, in a basketball jersey. I wrote in my notes. I'm like, there's a
0: 45-year-old at basketball practice. <laughs> I didn't know. No, I'm kidding. Yes, yeah, so okay, it, was it was like two, it was extra, 2010. Bro. So it was two years before. Two
2: years. Okay. And that's what I was saying is I like the idea and I think it was true of Toby as well, because I think whenever Sam chose him, I think part of the pathos that goes behind it is you want somebody who's a great actor and who clearly has good range. And if I'll say anything, given what, I mean, you know, working with what he's given, which I think is a lot of good stuff. I actually think Andrew Garfield fucking slays acting in this movie. He's pretty good. He's a, he's a classical actor.
0: He like went yeah. to like school and then he was in plays in, um, Britain for years and years before started acting for real. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So what I
0: like about that is
2: it's the same idea that I think Sam Raimi took into Tobey Maguire, where you clear, you have an actor that you clearly know can do what you want to be done. And they're a great actor, but you run to that thing of where not everybody knows them yet. So it kind of helps sell that fantasy of like, he's not a household name. He's, even if he's hot, he, he's, it's not <laughs> like, it's not like if you put, I I can't even really think, but like, let's just say they put Daniel Radcliffe as Peter Parker in this movie. (laughs) Everyone knows knows who Daniel Radcliffe is at that point. You're never going to get away from that, and then when people are going to be watching it, it's not that you're watching Peter Parker and Spider-Man. You're almost inherently watching Daniel Radcliffe (laughs) be Peter Parker.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I think outside of there, I think there are some parts in this movie where I think Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are not very good, but I don't think it's their fault, if that makes sense. I think a lot of the flirting stuff is really cute, but it's also
0: really bad and hard to watch. I think it's intentional. I think that it's supposed to be awkward and hard to watch.
2: I didn't think it was hard to watch, I guess, is where I should come from on this. uh, Well, I don't mean hard to watch.
0: And I can't speak for him, but I don't mean hard to watch as in, like, oh God, turn away, it's bad. I just meant that like, it's awkward. I really like that. Uh, To me, they sell the
2: awkward teen relationship thing in a really strong way. And, uh, I mean, of course, it does help. I think their chemistry on screen together is really good for the most part. We were dating Um, at the time. And they were dating at the time, so it does help. And I kind of like that. I mean, again, if you're trying to sell me on the fact that these are teenagers, that kind of stumble over your words shit and kind of like wanting to say something but also not quite having the courage to say it is – it's fucking that's teenage that's that's what that shit
1: is i guess so but i don't know i think the uh identity him telling her who he is scene. i think that scene is just i just think that scene is bad
2: that was the one moment where i thought that emma stone's acting in particular was bad like his wasn't that bad but whenever he spins her around and she just looks at him like oh (laughs) Yeah, I think that that was a. I could see how that'd be hit or miss for some people, but I personally found it really endearing, and so did my wife. Like when she was sitting there, she was she was giving me like looking back at me, and I guess maybe because we're watching it together, but mm-hmm. she was looking back at me and being like, "Oh, that's so cute."
0: Why don't you <laughs> act like this anymore? Well, we what? do. Uh, some. Um, <laughs> I'm a loving man.
1: I gotta tell you. I see, I can't. I can't tell you this. Ah, I really want to tell you this. Mm, I can't. Oh. <laughs> god damn it it's like kirsten Stewart actually acting in twilight you know what actually just happened though
2: you uh, just uh, that scene the way that you just reenacting it and then remembering that after all that she goes to walk away and then he squirts white stuff out of his wrist <laughs> that's him working towards climax and climax is oh revealing my- the identity
1: god. <laughs> you know what? that makes the scene better 10 out of 10 Next allegory <sighs> Yeah. Who I am, a like, cum rocket. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: in this one, which I guess is kind of always there, right? But I love how this movie really puts a, a, a pin on the fact that Peter kind of knows that Uncle Ben's death is ultimately on his hands. Um, again, indirectly, but he knows that if it wouldn't have been for him running out, that Uncle Ben wouldn't have been out looking for him. So he carries that with him throughout the film. And I think that does a lot to mature him. Um yeah. But you see how that affects him moving forward, right? Because you end up having this thing of where he's talking to Gwen and he's you know, she's trying to pull this very sensible human nature of like, hey, I already have one person who I love who goes out every day, puts this badge on, and I have to think every day of whether or not he's gonna make it home. I don't like I, I don't know that I can have a secondary version of that. And you see him kind of Stop and kind of wince a little and like look at her and say, like, you know, like, I have to do this because I'm responsible. Like, I created him, I gave him. And again, that comes back to these themes that I like that the BS kind of ends up feeding into. I like the theme that he feels this responsibility now that he's realized what can happen if he doesn't move forward. He sees an opportunity for him to go back and undo something that he feels like he created or that was his fault where he knows he can't ever actually he can't ever actually do that with uncle ben so i like that kind of push and pull that's happening there and i like that it creates that even if you have to deal with all the bs that does create that
1: (laughs) yeah so i i I should say at some point in this podcast is a lot i think a lot of my negative feelings towards this movie have a lot more to do with the second one than this one which is unfair Because we're talking about the first one. Because I remember finishing this movie and being like, do I like this movie more than I thought I did? And then I realized that a lot of my time was spent being like, why the fuck is this happening and laughing at the movie? But I don't think it's necessarily a bad movie. I just have a lot of problems. I think I overreacted when you said it last week. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you
2: overreacted on purpose. If I'm being honest, I was like, he, he either actually legitimately hates it or he's just coming off. as.
1: No, I was actually mad. (laughs) Not mad. I was like, God damn it. He picked this of all movies. (laughs) You should have known when you saw that I bought it. (laughs) See, I didn't even think about it. And when you were talking about, I was like, is he going to pick iron man? Am I, I'm down, but like, okay. So, um, Blake.
2: Yes. I know that me and Chris have been kind of on this argument. I wouldn't say argument. We've clearly been discussing our standpoints. But I won't say that you've been oddly quiet. But I'm. Uh, do you have a hot take that you feel like is, is in this? Or do
0: you have anywhere you come from that you just feel? I don't really have a hot take for this movie. I like the movie. I Like I said, I think the like origin story was a bit long. But that's... I guess mm-hmm. that's my hot take. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. seems kind of <clears throat> well, mild to me, but... I think will take. what I'll move into with it then is that clearly what you're
2: talking about, right? The origin aspect of it is yeah. when we eventually see him grow grow into it. I want to like, see, see Spider-Man,
0: him- man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to watch this fucking loser walk around and get hit with basketballs. <laughs> I want to see some web slinging <laughs> and some fighting, okay? Yeah,
2: so... I think what makes this movie interesting too is that they linger a long time on him running around in various versions of the suit, and then even the final suit, but not quite giving it a name. And I know that that's clearly for a reason. Um, but if we're going to talk about the fact of like when we eventually see him become Spider-Man, like you you mentioned. The Uncle Ben scene for a long for a lot of the movies is always supposed to be like his moment of coming into it. Yeah. But I actually think that if you look, both movies kind of approach it from the standpoint of going through this arc of vengefulness before coming full circle into who you really are when you're presented with the opportunity yeah. to do something that's good, and then you do it. And uh, so I guess that well, leads us to what McGuire I think was, is he one of right the after best that scenes guy too.
0: Right? What's that? The Toby McGuire, if I remember correctly, he went right after that guy too. Right? Like yes. That was the first thing he did. Yeah. Yeah. He found so him, Yeah. <laughs> so He's when you look Spider-Man. At,
2: when, <laughs> when you look at this movie, I think that leads to clearly the, the the movie's building towards the bridge scene for all of its origin moments, right? And of course it continues to be an origin story, but the moment that we see Spider Man on screen and we see that click happen is two things, right? So I think it builds into the dinner scene. And the dinner scene, I love because I, there's something. What is it with Spider-Man having good dinner scenes? Because the dinner scene in Spider-Man One of Sam Raimi's is fucking awesome. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: but the, the the dinner scene here, while not nearly as you know over the top and dramatic, oh, I love as, this one. Uh, but this one's still really good, and I like this thing where it's Peter talking and kind of fooling himself into believing his actions so far as I guess not Spider-Man, but the master vigilante or whatever been good, yeah. has been about protecting innocent people. When really we all know, including him, that it's just been about seeking out vengeance. Yeah. But I liked it immediately after that. We see the bridge scene, which leads us to what I think is the best scene of the whole movie. And like a standalone portion uh, because we kind of actually see that conversation come to bear where at the beginning of the movie, we see that he can be selfless, right? When he goes in to try and help the bu- the kid getting bullied. But then after that, we kind of see him get the powers, get cocky with the powers, and then go off and could k- become vengeful with the powers. And we see all that play out and we don't really see him quite return back to that good hearted selfless kid that we know he can be, or at least that we got shown that he can be until this scene, even though he's acting like he's coming to it. So the bridge scene happens, everything goes on. And the moment with the kid in the car happens,
0: yeah. I love every bit
2: about scene. that scene. I mean, yeah. it's just such a great scene. So, since you haven't gotten too much of a chance when me and Chris have been gawking, how, how, what do you feel about the dinner scene and yeah. going into the bridge scene?
0: The dinner scene was really funny. Me and Haley were cracking up pretty hard at it. And um, yeah. I get, have you, okay, little tangent here. Have you seen the video of the probably middle school, maybe early high school kid in a yellow shirt? He's like, you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm glad you hurt yeah. your elbow. <laughs> okay so with my 2020 glasses on i wanted hold on yeah
2: is it a kid in like a computer class yeah Yeah. Yeah.
0: kind of chubby kid with a yellow shirt yeah yeah i love that video so much but so (laughs) with my 2020 glasses on and watching this movie from a standpoint it was never meant to be seen from because i'm an idiot and i can't help it i just (laughs) wanted peter to be like you know what i'm gonna say it a cab <laughs> just to piss <laughs> him off <laughs> it doesn't make sense for the movie i'm not trying to make a political statement it just it went through my brain and it was just it made funny, me laugh yeah, yeah. so yeah. but no the dinner scene was very good i enjoyed um like you said peter sticking up for himself and then realizing that hey maybe he is right after all so and um that's the thing too is that I've always thought with like the other Spider-Man and stuff is like you know it's good that he's stopping these like petty criminals and stuff that like steal purses, but also it might be part of a larger organization that they've been trying to stop for like six months. So maybe don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, and
2: I like that it really brings that to bear in this because the old the other which I mean they're they're doing different things of course, but in part of being more grounded, I like that this movie took that moment to be like for him to question like, well, maybe I'm helping y'all and doing something that y'all couldn't do. And then for him to come back and be like, well, maybe that was part of a bigger plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. The dinner scene was a lot of fun. I liked, I know we already kind of or Chris hinted on it or whatever, talked about it, but the scene on the balcony, I really liked too. and how he, um, I don't remember exactly what he said, or he's like, dang it or damn it or something. And then he just jumps off the roof or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, yeah, I like that whole scene, and same with the the bridge. I thought it was a really emotional scene. It was very good.
2: Yeah, I think that there's something really endearing about the aspect of which. I mean, of course, we see this again, and that's what we keep are naturally going to talk about the Raimi trilogy because I feel like most people who watch this watch well, the Raimi trilogy, well, especially <laughs>
0: us. Like we grew up on the Raimi. Yeah, tr- you know, I, we were I know like 10 all about it did. came out. So,
2: but you know, in Spider-Man Two, um, the, the scene where Spider-Man, he yes. The, where, the scene Wait. where he stops the train and then he doesn't have his mask on, but everybody carries him through until he's in a safe spot and then gives him back the mask. And yeah. it's kind of like the like we won't tell we're, we're, we're all in this together moment. Yeah. Um, I, I really love, it. love it. that. This is that on a smaller, more intimate scale. Like that was a great scene on like a big scale and seeing yeah. everybody come together, which this movie has later on with the crane scene I feel like <laughs> <laughs> as interesting as it is, it's not as good as, the, as stopping the, the train clearly, that's the a crane. really powerful scene where he like, like shoots himself out uh, where all the cream, it Where the, again? It's consequences and actions, right? We see the hey, flip
3: right side of We got the crane <laughs> for ya. you. Come over the fucking thirty fourth boulevard.
2: When he's shot in the leg and can't move right, gotcha. so the, yeah, the, yeah. the operator sees, and, and and it ties back into the bridge scene, right? That's what I love too. Is it's like you see this personal thing where he's leveling with the kid, takes off his mask, and says, "Hey, I'm just a normal guy." And he throws yeah. the mask down to him, and he he tells him he he, he feeds him that that lie water that I feed to my daughter sometimes <laughs> where Spaghetti they're scared like of icy. something and you create something that's both that makes you stronger or repels off something. So I love how he drops the mask to him and it's like, you know, put the mask on. Like it makes you stronger. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I liked it. At first it came from a position of just leveling with the kid. And then when the stuff got crazy and the kid was freaking out, it was like, use the mask. It makes you stronger just as a tie in. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on this show, but yeah, um, my daughter it was scared of the dark, as all kids are. Uh, of course, she's scared of monsters. We had an empty bottle of spray and wash that I was about to throw away, and I I just saw it, and I grabbed it and took it to her room, and I said, see this here? She couldn't read at the time. <laughs> so I'm like, you see this here? This is monster spray. And you would have thought I've created a superhero in that moment because every night it was like, got to have my my, my my spray. And she would just be in her bed and quickly wah, 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 and lay down. <laughs> and it was cool. But I, I like that. That's an endearing thing from someone, which I guess, of course, I'm watching this in 2020 as for, through the eyes of a father uh, who has a little more experiences like that. Whereas in 2012, right. I didn't have a kid. But it's a really endearing right. scene and I love it. And I like that that's when we see him finally, you know, say, like, who are you? And that's when we get the name drop. And that's when we get the all the responsibility that eventually comes along with that name of Spider Man. It's just a great scene.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, Spider Man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the guy who saved my kid.
1: <laughs> you know, this is something that another podcast I listened to brought up about Spider Man. And I think it's interesting because I noticed in this movie where. Uh, there's never been a live-action Spider-Man with a, with a real New York accent. <laughs> You're right. Do you think it would be too
2: alienating to audiences, and that's why they've not done it? Or... Spider-Man, like, Tim's on in a big,
1: like...
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yo, you gotta stop stealing cars, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, my, my guy. My guy. My guy, Shocker. Shocker, my guy. We gotta go see the Yanks. Calm down.
0: I just want a Boston Ben Affleck Spider-Man now. I would pay you, buddy. <laughs> if Daredevil had just You trying to steal the car?
1: <laughs> I feel like people think New York accents are a lot more... They kind of get New York and Boston mixed up. I feel like New York doesn't really have an accent.
2: They don't. And ne- not nearly as much. I actually... I, uh, in my day to day job, are used to whenever I was logistics person, I would have to call one of our companies that um, provides stuff to us, one of our manufacturers in New York, and they have a little bit of an accent. Like you, you hear it there, and the way that they generally talk is different from us in the South, where like we're all clearly very polite and we say like you know please, thank you, and all that stuff. And you can tell that when you say it to them, they're kind of taken back, like what the fuck? What did he just say to me? Yeah. But awesome. outside of Tri-State that, it's pretty.
1: are Very nice people.
2: <laughs> What's
1: that? So, the people from the tri state area aren't very nice people <laughs> listening to uh, one of the three of, states you're talking about. Oh, god, we did this during American Gangster. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> what are the three states? I, I, actually, it's the, it's you know, Colorado. <laughs> we just leave one of the four states out of the four state area, Montana. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, so. Chris, this is something yeah. I want to come back to you for. Um, I, I So, I'm assuming where you went to on not feeling like he's a great Peter is the fact that he's, he's too attractive. Yeah, that's part of it. Okay. How do you feel about the way that they go about having Peter actually... And, and again, I don't think it's just perfected in this, but I do like it. I think of all the movies, this one feels the most like... And actually, this is actually something they get right in the second movie along all the stuff they get wrong. Uh, but I like how they use Peter being smart in this movie in a yeah. way to aid towards what he's doing. Like he creates the web singers for himself. He clearly understands what he's talking about with all the cross species stuff. I like that they show Peter in a light of like Toby Maguire's Peter was like a geek. And yeah. He was clearly smart. But it's not shown in the same way. It's almost like it's shown, like he says something just to have Harry Osborne be like, he's a smart kid.
1: Yeah. Well, that's also part of why the web shooters are better because that inherently shows how smart he is because he comes up with that himself. Mm-hmm. That's why, even in this one, they do it. I'm pretty sure they do it differently where he, quote unquote, comes up with it, but it's an Oscorp tech that he just kind of changed up. Whereas, yeah. like, in the disney movies he he has a fluid and that he created scientifically you Mm. know so it Mm. almost gives it that next level of okay he's really smart because he just comes up with that
2: yeah you know not that i want to bring too much into the second movie but i actually think the second movie show and i guess part of it is that you see them being created and if i'm remembering right homecoming kind of talks about the fluid but does it actually show him like pulling the stuff together to make
1: No, you just know uh, that he did and he has sure. those... Yeah, you see one thing that he's picking up the vials of it so you know it's like an actual synthetic thing he created. Sure.
2: Yeah, and I like in this that there's... I, I like in this one that you see him actually making it. Like you see him trial and error fail and make it and you see that replicating in the second movie when he's trying to find a way to add the electrocharged stuff so that he can deal with electro and you see him yeah. going through and, and i just i like that because it feels like you're seeing his like he's smart but he's still a human he has to work through these things and take an idea through and i would have actually really liked if the disney movies and I, I i thought i would have remembered that if they would have actually shown tom holland like in a lab even if it's like a 15 second thing of him pouring some stuff together failing and then eventually getting it right i'm and wrong so they, do.
1: they do do that actually they do.
2: okay it's been, it's been a while since i've seen
1: homecoming um And I will gladly. Yeah, because they show him in chemistry class doing it. No one, all of our listeners who write in every week, please, you don't need to write in (laughs) in (laughs) yellow. Please don't. Um, Yeah. So anyway, I like
2: those aspects uh, of showing that stuff off in trial and error. And I feel like that's actually the one thing that the Sam Raimi movies completely miss is him feeling smart. Yeah. And after the first movie, it's almost like that doesn't even come to a character, it's just all about everything else he does because he's just a uh, pizza time <laughs> you know but when you move through it, it's it's clearly a not a focus for him i like that it's brought in as a focus for peter here mm-hmm. even if he's too hot to be peter otherwise at least he's got the smarts down you know
1: yeah. yeah yeah
2: uh okay lighter moment how does everybody feel about the stan lee cameo in this movie
1: probably his best one
3: <laughs> i'm
2: yeah, glad you said that one. because I haven't. I, I was try when I typed it in. I was like, I think this is my favorite Stanley cameo. And then I backed up and I was like, if I say that, I think
1: Chris may yell at me.
2: So <laughs> I, I was like, top three Stanley cameo.
1: <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's definitely the best one.
2: All right, uh, Blake. Yo. curious as where you stand on this so i i didn't know this until i went and bought this whenever i bought it and picked it up i turned it around i laughed at myself because it said directed by mark webb and i didn't know that and i thought that was just so fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> but i decided to look into it because i was like i don't know that name he's done um, jack shit so he did uh what was it
0: 50 days was 500 it? days of days. some shit i don't of know summer.
2: that was the only movie he had done prior to this and then they brought him into this but what well, the I like kind about that fucking
0: is, shit uh, contract that he signed with the devil to go from that movie to fucking Spider Man.
2: So, fun fact, because I thought that was crazy too, because the budget on 500 Days of Summer is like 3.1 million. I've heard the day. movie's very,
0: great. Like, nothing against that movie. Yeah. And uh, it made
2: tons of money it made so much more than its budget. And I kind of, kind of, I hope they're gone. Like, you know, I think they're looking at that movie and say, this is a movie about people. This is a movie about characters. And they're like, can we, do we move that in? It's a lot like with Sam Raimi, you know, it's like the Sam Raimi movies are about Spider-Man and everything else, but they're about characters. And I'll give Sony credit that they at least try to bring people in that. When you see them, you're like interesting choice. Sure. Like Sam Raimi, if you tell when they first, Okay. Of course, I'm a kid. So, But when they first announced that, if I would have been who I am now and able to be back there and hear that and then go Sam Raimi with only looking at what he'd done prior, I'd have been like, wow, what a choice. And then watch the movie and been like, fucking correct choice. (laughs) But I, I feel a lot... I feel like in this movie, if I'm being honest... I don't know if I would really want someone else to do it because I looked a little more into what I think some of the problems were and where they seem to have come from. And then I was also curious about the second movie. So I decided to look at them a little bit more. And every one of these movies has had some guy and I wish I'd
0: have typed it in. Avi Arad, producer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He is the producer on all these things. And apparently on
0: uh, superhero stuff, all the yeah. Spider-Mans, even Vi- Spider-Verse, <laughs> the new ones. Venom. Yeah,
2: so apparently one of the big things here is that he was a big push for Spider-Man 3 to have Venom in it. Originally, it was not supposed to have Venom. It was only supposed to have two villains. And Venom is his favorite one. So he was like, people want Venom. People want Venom. And then they had to add him in last minute. Yeah, uh, which is same thing thing happened
0: kind of not great.
2: <laughs> yeah, same thing happened here is he had a lot of things he wanted to come in and push in over Mark Webb's original vision. And then we saw that happen to an extreme level with Into the Spider-Verse. Cool um or not into the Man? Oh, i'm sorry uh amazing, Spider-Man, amazing too. spider-man yeah um so i thought that was pretty interesting because when i think back about what he'd done i think that it, it makes a lot of sense to take somebody who's made a great movie off of a small budget and chose a way to play really intimate and interesting characters and then move that into a big budget and clearly it worked for them because the budget for the first movie uh for this one i think it was like 150 million something like that and it made quite a bit of money um so I think that they felt like they bet on the right person, but it goes to show you how studio meddling can just be become an issue. <laughs> well he
0: was actually Avi Arad was actually according to Letterboxd the bio they have for him, he um was the CEO of the company Toy Biz in the nineties and soon yep. became the chief creative officer of Marvel Entertainment. He was a yep. Marvel director and the chairman, CEO and founder of Marvel Studios. Yeah. It's Which it says on here on Letterboxd, he's not even a producer on Spider Man Three. Oh, there it is. It's two rows down from one and two for some reason. Yeah, Never mind. I was right. he,
2: he was definitely in there.
0: Yeah, Because <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of
2: interesting stories and it was Sam Raimi talking about how he was kind of pushed into it. So, but yeah, it's an interesting world that we live in where we've seen three reboots of the same character in a 15-year period. Or, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I guess what? No, because it was 2002. Yeah, 15 years. Uh, if you go from the first one to the first yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, for the first one, <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that says a lot about Spider-Man and how much people just clearly like the character. Um, you know, there's a reason that Marvel has fought so much to keep him in the Marvel in in the MCU, um, even though Sony owns him. They clearly have seen the impact that he can make on movies, how much his movies alone make, how much he added to Civil War, and how hyped everybody was to go see it. Um, so. While it's weird and I think that ultimately it was the wrong choice, I think I'm happy because I, for completely different reasons, I actually really love this movie in spite of a couple of flaws. And I really love the Sam Raimi first one. And I feel like you have two very ultimately very different takes and trying to do two different things that are both good in their own ways. Um I'm, I'm. I need to rewatch the first one because it's been a long time. Even though I know that I love it, but I'd be real curious after I watch it to kind of see if one really sits above the other, or if they just sit so differently from each other in my mind. It'd be curious to see where that goes. Um, I don't know when's the last time you you watched the first one, Blake? The Raimi ones. Mm-hmm. I watched all three
0: of them last year.
2: Okay, yeah. So you're you're coming off of a pretty familiar or a pretty
0: recent familiarity. Yeah. yeah, I really I love the Raimi trilogy.
2: Like yeah, I know the third too. one's
0: not great, but you know it's, it's still good. It's still a fun to watch.
2: I like the third one. I mean, I, I clearly it has problems.
0: <laughs> yeah, but no, I, like I like it, it too. Way. It's just not near as good. I mean, two is like a perfect superhero movie. I think.
2: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about um just uh, this is something I think that you'll be more interested in than Chris potentially, but the editing and cinematography choices. One of the things that I thought was really cool and I'm curious as to where you stand on them because I think we've all talked about loving it the way they did it in uh, the Doom movie, but the first person sections in this movie are really cool but they ruin them by just cutting them left and right. <laughs> I'm like, just let yeah. it be an uninterrupted first-person view for at least like 15 seconds, man. Why are you cutting it every two seconds?
0: Yeah, nothing cinematography-wise or editing-wise stood out to me at all. Like, it wasn't bad. Like, I mean, it, like, like you said, those scenes were cut a little too much, but nothing was so, like, overly bad that I was like, ugh, yikes.
2: Yeah. I think if I when I when I go back to editing right, which I mean of course the cuts are big. Um, this is kind of extra, and I want to go back and watch them. Um, what I was I was looking up the stuff about this movie and Mark Webb. I didn't want to watch that version for this, but apparently there are. I don't know if it's a version or if there's deleted scenes, but there's apparently a lot that fleshed out Doctor Connors a lot more as a character. And I think to myself, right, the one thing we've not talked about yet, which I think we can probably all agree on, what the fuck was that skateboarding scene?
0: yeah whenever oh, he was yeah. like learning to skate in the warehouse well it's like he was he clearly knows
2: how to skate but for some reason he asks a girl out for a date and then decides to just go fuck around in a warehouse on a skateboard and do things that like new tricks and <laughs> shit <laughs> I, it was so weird and it's going on for so long and i think to myself i don't know what that added to peter parker or to anybody and you could have, like, you cut scenes for other characters to make sure I could see this skateboarding scene.
0: But you got to have, like, man, you got to have spot, you know, having fun. Spider Man, he, he has fun. He's a kid, you know, he likes to skateboard. He's fun. I just was so
2: weird to me. I, I, the whole time it's going on, I'm like, you wasted time on this, but you probably edited out a really cool line or something somewhere else.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a little goofy, but I didn't think anything of it. But now that you mentioned it, I could have easily done without it. Like, it didn't add anything, I don't think.
2: I think part of it's um, I, I'm getting back into skating as well, uh, but there's so much stuff where like I was bitching to my wife while it was on. I was like, "That doesn't even make sense." I, I, I was like, "The board is sticking to his feet in ways that don't make sense." And she's like, "Well, he's a Spider Man." I was dude. like, I was like his hands are sticky,
0: not his fucking feet." His feet are <laughs> He's got to fucking climb with his feet. You see him move his feet when he climbs. Feet are too, but he has shoes on.
2: How does that go through his shoes?
0: Because it's like it's super comic books fucking sticky, dude. <laughs> he puts so, us he put sticky sticky shit on his feet <laughs> spider-man sticky oh god <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh god uh, but yeah that's just part it was so cringy to me and i was like this is such a waste of time um but i think for the most part the movie's really well shot there's a lot of really cool scenes i don't mean like just like oh breathtaking but there's a lot of scenes that much like the raimi movies where there's some moments where they linger on or do long panned out shots that i really think are cool uh, also how irresponsible was it for him to leave the camera up oh with
1: my god the property
2: of that. peter parker on god. it
1: oh i hate that <laughs> it's so dumb
2: you know what's interesting about that is that that scene when he's coming down and he's shooting all the webs out so he can kind of create like a web system like Axel spiders do to kind of track motion i was like oh that's cool shit and really smart and then followed by the complete stupidity of putting a camera up there which I was fine with until he pulls it down and it says property of Peter Parker. And you're just like, yeah, fucking. So God.
1: <laughs> What's the point of the camera? If he doesn't even make an effort to go back
2: and get it. Yeah. I was, yeah. Which I, I'm assuming he didn't think it was going to go that bad, but it's different. I guess if he was going down into the tunnels, to which i guess he didn't know where it was that right but if you were just going to snoop around the tunnels and take a picture and leave where there'd be little chance of confrontation then that's fine but when your whole thing is creating a network of s- strings so that you can sense motion and then prepare for something to happen what do you think is going to happen to where you'd be able to come back and get the camera
0: yeah it's it's a it was a dumb decision by a really smart <laughs> man <laughs> show What's you I mean? all the book smarts in the world and ain't got no street smarts <laughs> um also, just a little quick what could
2: have been that I kind of never really thought about the first time I watched this movie, but since I happen to be playing Arkham Knight right now, it just kind of crossed my mind is it's a, it's a bit of a shame that they killed off Officer Stacy in this because I kind of got this vibe from like late part of the movie when they finally have an understanding of each other of it would have been kind of interesting to have Officer Stacy or Captain Stacy and Spider-Man kind of have a Commissioner Gordon slash Batman relationship.
1: Cool. Can I... Say one of my other problems with this movie that is entirely structural. Go for it. Um, Dr. Connors should have been the second movie's villain, and this should have all happened in the second movie. Okay, so who's the villain for this movie? Don't know. That's not, I don't know, fucking shocker. Rhino. (laughs) Like, well, but okay. So my thing is, like, he could have got what would have been interesting, and it would have taken out that really dumb camera scene. I always do this. I'm sorry. I go on these rants of rewriting movies, but. Go for it.
2: I, I, I'm always interested in hearing it. If
1: the first movie should have been him learning about his powers, coming into his powers, his uncle dying, all that kind of stuff, but what would have made it, the Dr. Connors thing, more interesting is if the first movie is. Dr. Connors helping him figure out that he's what to do with being Spider Man and him being on his side. And then the second movie, the you know, you can have the cloning stuff. That could be maybe why Peter's there when he gets bitten instead of the Deus Ex Machina shit that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But if Connors is the mentor throughout the first movie, and along with Stacy, where Connors is kind of Spider Man's mentor and Stacy is kind of Peter's mentor, where in a lot of ways it's vice versa, if you know what I mean. Sure. Um and then all of this, he you know goes through and he fights Shocker or something like that. And then Connors is the second movie's villain, where he
2: succumbs
1: and then ends up. Yeah, mad. yeah.
2: So basically, the same right. story arc of, of why of the why he goes mad in the lizard, but let it be later when you kind of have this friend yeah oh so i think the only problem with that is it kind of brushes a little too closely to
1: doc Ock. well i mean connor's and doc Ock brush too closely to begin with you know in this movie yeah, sure. <laughs> you know i would have almost preferred this movie was like craven but that's an entire other
2: yeah no sure thing it, it is interesting when you think about it because that's another thing that naturally happens here right is in this idea of trying to separate yourself from this other trilogy i'm sure there was a reason to want to put a little bit of impetus to be like all right we need to not have the same villain that we saw in the last three movies. How do we For do that? Sure. All right, well, let's put it, let's put it in the lizard man. And in the next movie,
1: we'll bring in electro and bring in rhino. Okay. I get what you're trying to do, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Because think of if, if like that, if Paul Giamatti's rhino is the villain of this movie, that kind of makes everything that happens in the next movie. a will make a little bit more sense where, you know, he comes out and works with doc or electro or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. I just think it would have made a lot of the arcs, Make more sense because it kind of feels like Connors has this fatherish relationship when he saves Peter, you know? Yeah.
2: We'd be remiss not to talk about that scene, I feel like, because that's also a good scene.
1: It's, yeah. It, it it would have made more sense if Connors was more built up as his mentor rather than someone he knew for all of 20 minutes. Yeah, and movie. I think
2: that that's what, from what I'm saying, I think that's what a lot of the deleted scenes are, yeah. Uh, sadly. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I mean by sometimes you get into that thing of where people are worried about the potential of, which, of course, even Endgame had that, right, or uh, Infinity mm-hmm. War, where it's like, are people going to actually sit around for a three-and-a-half-hour movie if yeah. you've, you've done I, up it the right way?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think the thing is, like, if the second movie is the third movie and you take, you know what I mean? The stuff that happens at the climax of that movie, I think pays off a lot more as the end of a trilogy than as the middle part of a trilogy that never got finished. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. And I think... I'm trying not
1: to spoil the movie, so... Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, for sure. I get what you mean. I I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, and maybe there's ways to still pull that in, but uh, just before I forget about it, I, I really like about the scene where Connors is kind of coming back down from with having the antidote and he's like regaining his humanity. And I think what makes me like that scene so much is that, and again, it would have been so much better if it was built up more, but at least Mm -hmm. that did get built up and paid off on, I think is that when Connors first grabs Peter to save him from falling, he does so with the artificial arm. That he's been, yeah, to, he has to, to change it. And he has to switch over and kind of realize that his real strength from a human standpoint comes from this arm that he's always viewed as like his own, cr- yeah, a, a crutch or whatever. Uh, I like yeah. that. I thought that was a really cool setup and a really nice payoff. It was, I'm curious where you stand on this because this is another one of those standpoints of uh, comparing Sam Raimi's to this one. Sure, so both Sam Raimi's movie and this one come toward the end of having this feeling of like as spider-man there's certain things that you just can't have and like in the first you know spider-man movie for Raimi, we kind of end on him having to turn down mary jane after finally getting her and because he realizes that like it's more important that he be spider-man and goes off and does the things that need to be done as a hero And in this movie, we kind of see the same thing where it's like it's always about making sure that you understand that Spider-Man isn't supposed to be able to easily have it all. And that's why you have this kind of, hey, promise me you're not going to put my daughter in the middle of this because it's dangerous. And it kind of brings the same things to light. But the first movie from Sam Raimi actually ends on that with him walking away from Mary Jane. And then the next movie comes into the fact that they have an estranged relationship because of it. Yeah, Um, Whereas this movie – Sets all that up just to have him come to class at the so very cheesy. end and be like, don't make promises you can't keep. But those I are hated hard. that. It's
0: so dumb. <laughs> I hate it. I laughed yeah. out loud so hard. I did
2: too. I did too. And because I was bitching about it before, I was like, because I was trying to remember. I was like, I know that in the next movie at the start, they're back together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do they do that? And then, whenever, and then i said that out loud and my wife whenever that happens he goes that's how they're back together and i was like yeah but it's fucking dumb
1: yeah it's so bad yeah it sucks
2: <laughs> oh man All right. well i you know i think for me um i pretty much talked about everything i like i did think that more often than not the cinematography was pretty good and i've got to i got to give credit across the board for uh superhero movies getting to a point where they are consistently shot well to where very seldom do you have a hero movie that feels like it's just shot only with the action in mind. And there's a lot of cool scenes that happen in the personal spotty movies with like fight scenes and stuff where they do a lot of up close stuff. And that's something I do wish would have been in the Tom Holland movies moving forward where it's like a bunch of camera 360 around and stuff. It's really interesting. I guess the only thing I have left to say uh, in particular is
1: the suit I yeah. love like the suit. Yeah. One. This is interesting where I think this is Amazing Spider-Man 1 has the best Spider-Man suit of all of them and Amazing Spider-Man 2 has the worst of all of them.
2: I don't think <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 2 is worst. And the reason the only reason I'll even say that I think it looks cool. I mean that's fine, but there's something about the believability of this one and the fact that he goes through again it shows that resource Yeah, I like this one. Uh yeah, I know. Uh but I like that resourcefulness of Peter of like slowly coming together of what you're going to make. Working the sunglasses into the mask and, like, gluing shoes to the bottom of, like, this Mm -hmm. suit, it all feels right to what a teen could do. But I also like it feels very grounded. Like, when he moves, you see it wrinkle. You see it do things that a real. My huge problem with the Tom Holland suit is not actually the the suit itself because the suit itself is amazing. And they had Tom Holland come out in it before, like, Far From Home came out. That he looks fantastic in the suit. And then throughout the whole movie, they CGI over his suit every fucking time. And it ends up looking flat and like. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's really dumb that they do that. And
2: that's what pisses me off. And, and every Spider Man movie, except for the Tom Holland ones, every suit has got depth and you can feel it. Like, of course, this one's a little different. It's more like a you see the texture, but it's not as pronounced as like the Tobey Maguire where the webs stuck out really far on the suit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I do like the suit here. It's very nice. I'm glad that you liked it too because some people were like, well, it just doesn't look that professional. I'm like, but is it supposed to? It's like, if I'm being honest, the Sam Raimi ones don't make sense as to how this kid suddenly just has what looks like a fucking, like he went to a tailor and was like, Hey, I'm Spider-Man, but don't tell anybody, but make this (laughs) for (laughs) me. Whereas this is like clearly a kid who's just ordering shit and throwing it together. I thought that was cool. It made a lot more sense and it looks believable and flowy.
0: It needs to look good. Like I, i don't know what people want like if the first movie had him with like a blue hoodie and red pants on with a spider drawn on the sharpie they'd be upset so like what the fuck do they want out of a high school kid i actually love that (laughs) like i'm not against that either i was just saying like if it was was homemade they'd be pissed and if it's professional they're pissed so like whatever i like
2: it between the two yeah um You know, I guess while we're talking about the suit, the thing that makes this suit really cool to me is that in all of this, like all the swinging scenes are not all, but a lot of the swinging scenes are done using practical effects in this movie. And a lot of it was done with uh, real sets as well. There was a very little green screen. And I love that because everything does feel like it's more alive and breathing. Um, But I like that. Yeah, yeah, right? They even built him. But uh, you could see, and I watched it uh, from a couple of things, like every one of the swinging scenes, like him swinging underneath the bridge and when the cops are chasing him and moving around everything, that was filmed practically. Like there's ropes and they go through and then they just CGI over the ropes to make them webs and it looks fantastic. Yeah. The momentum behind the swing looks real because it looks like someone swinging and how that parabellum would end up working out and how that momentum carries. And But going back to the suit, I like that in those moments, like you see the suit like flapping in the wind and like moving with him and like wrinkling if he scrunches his armpit up to swing a specific way or something that's really cool whereas like you know the toby Maguire suit is really cool too but it's so thick that you hardly ever saw it move mm-hmm. yeah so interesting all right anybody else want to add anything into this or are we going to wrap this thing up i think i'm good okay so i'm we good cover all the bases all right chris since you're coming in hot as the man who has what seems to be the most issues with the movie we're going to start with you what you got? What, are you, what are you rating uh,
1: this movie? So I originally rated it a two, but I have come to realize that I hate The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and this movie is not that bad. So I gave it three stars. <laughs> That's at
2: least respectable. I understand. Like, here's the weird thing about Amazing Spider-Man Two is there's things I like about it, and there's things I fucking loathe about that movie.
3: Yeah,
2: (laughs) I'm with you. If you tell me, like, even though I'll still go ahead and watch it again, because I'll also tell you this movie in 4K UHD Mm -hmm. was fucking gorgeous, and I can't wait to see the the CGI in Amazing Spider-Man Two is fucking beautiful. It's just wasted on a bad movie. Um, That's the thing. But yeah, I can see you giving that a two or even worse. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think it's a little bit of a disservice to this movie to lump the second one in.
1: Yeah, I don't know. All I was going to say was that I just think with superhero movies, it's, it ends up no matter what, being fun to watch superheroes.
0: It is. Even it if is. the movies aren't great. Alright, Blake, where do you rate this bad boy? Alright, I gave it four originally, but I think I'm going to go three and a half. Interesting. You moved down, Chris I moves moved down, on. yeah. And not because, like, I think it's bad or anything, but some of the things Chris pointed out with, like, the you know the convenience writing, especially in the beginning with his parents and stuff. I don't agree with his reasoning, but I still think it's bad. Yeah, three. I'm gonna
2: give half. it a. I'm gonna give it a very endearing four point two five. Commit Son of a bitch. <laughs> Commit that is me committing four point two five. I think that honestly, I could see this with a slight re edit. I could see me. I could see this movie being a five. Okay. I mean. Okay. Again, a, re- a, but a re-edit. and I, I guess I should say...
1: Yeah, maybe if they re edit it to be Spider-Man 2 or Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, all I'm saying is the movie clearly has potential. Something that I know, made, I'm just giving had, you shit. <laughs> the movie is... There's good things about the movie. There's just a lot of really bad things. Yeah, but I'm telling you, I think me and you could sit down and probably rewrite
2: this movie with the majority of the story staying the same. But just clear up some of those things that end up feeling like lazy writing or or self-fulfilling
1: prophecy and we can have a pretty bigger movie if nothing
2: else we can have a solid (laughs) (laughs) 4.75
1: we should do an entire we should talk about this off podcast but I'm gonna tease the fans we should do a we should write a script for our perfect Spider-Man movie and then record it as a podcast but then change it to be (laughs) Spatter-Man So and that we don't get just, copyright suit. Yeah. <laughs> and he just shoots like or we could even call him like uh shovels out of his wrist. Yeah. Or spackle man, and he just shoots uh wall spackle and it just sticks to things. <laughs> He's a spackler. <laughs> spackle man, spackle man.
2: <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, I think it would be fun to view a rewrite somewhere along in this. So
1: we'll see. Yeah. So what's your rating? Oh, no. Blake, what's your movie, bud?
0: All right. So I am choosing (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. It's a really good movie. (laughs) Robert Eggers' 2016 masterpiece, The Witch.
2: It took you long enough to get there.
0: I've been waiting for a while because you talk about that movie all the time and
2: I'm like, I am just going to one day find. (laughs) Okay. Well, watch out. And by the way, in case you're curious, it's the VVICCH
0: on streaming platforms. It's a W. Yeah,
2: I'm just saying if you look at it and go,
1: Wait a
0: minute, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, go check out The Witch. Uh, I'm well, actually moderately well, excited. Prime. sorry, it's on Showtime and Fubo. Uh,
1: at least this one is uh, moderately reasonably timed. Blake, good for it's you. An
0: hour and a half, <laughs> eat a dick.
1: That is reasonably <laughs> timed. That's exactly what I said. I don't understand. <laughs> all
2: right so go check that out and then come back and find us on the next episode if you have any interest to do so maybe horror is not your bag and if so you could always come back and listen to any of our other episodes that we come around to i'm sure chris is going to have a rom-com for us pretty soon yeah it's
1: called up in the air he hasn't yet
2: so i'm waiting for the moment that he brings it upon us Um, it's gonna happen yeah it'll definitely happen i'll wait for the day and i'll probably clap i'll probably slow clap because it took you you, you've shown great restraint
1: (laughs) Yes,
2: you know I've done Chris my best done horror, but while he may have not chosen the witch for a long time, he has chosen plenty of horror movies since we I started. think I've only chosen like four. <laughs> oh, I know, but I'm just saying Chris, we've only done 30, 32 episodes. Done, <laughs> Chris has not done a single rom com yeah, this entire fair. time, and yeah, I he's do like rom com, and who self proclaimed himself as a lover of the rom com, so yeah, you know, take from that what you will. Rom-com but I love long. feeling happy. <laughs> We are rolling out of this show, so thank you guys for joining me. Uh if you want to catch up with them on Twitter again, like I mentioned earlier in the show, you can find Blake over at popes underscore Blake underscore nine two. You can find Chris on Twitter at Figs F I G Z two One K. Uh and of course you can find me if you want to interact with me. I am primarily focused on the Triangle Square Twitter. That's just what I do. It's our Twitter for our playstation podcast if for some reason you're listening to this and haven't heard of that yet go check it out if you like gaming it may sound like it's all fanboyism but i promise i think that we're pretty uh platform agnostic we just happen to love playstation so we start from that point and kind of go everywhere else but fanboys ooh, uh like that, <laughs> like that star wars movie it has got the dude from balls of fury in it
3: <laughs>
2: yeah it's actually a solid movie anyway if you want to support the show with more than just your time we are ever so grateful for our patrons, and you can go over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month to get episodes of this show early. We put them out the Friday before they go live 99% of the time. Every now and then it changes, but that's okay. We got, we're got we all working people who do this as a hobby on the side, so I think that you can all uh, understand when sometimes stuff happens, but you can go do that at, at patreon.com slash nartech, like I said, and... We also always shout out our patrons at the end of every piece of content we do as a huge thank you. So without further ado, we'd like to give a shout out to To Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villalobos, Corey Hickerson. Blake Popst, Kevin Baconbits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kinney, Solitary Red, Chris Figgs, Zachary Sawyer. Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B., and lastly, Richard Schaefer. Thank you so much. Richie. Richie. Hi, Richie.
1: <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop the recording.